0: You are listening to the Stand With Dignity podcast. Please subscribe to our channel.
1: Assalamu alaikum. My name is Muhammad Abdul Aleem. On behalf of the World Council of Muslims for Interfaith Relations and Stand With Dignity and Islamicity, welcome to this 10th and last episode of Muharram, a time of sacrifice and personal reformation. We are grateful to all the speakers who have been with us in this program and we hope this series will serve as an interfaith example of how we can address issues that we all face as one common humanity. Uh, Today's topic is Shia and Sunni working together to bring about reformation. And I'm honored uh, to have the opportunity to to introduce our guest speaker, uh, Dr. Hassan Abbas. He is a distinguished professor of uh, International Relations at Near East, South Asia Strategic, uh, Strategic Studies Center in Washington, DC. He also serves as a senior advisor at Harvard University Program on Shiaism and Global Affairs at the Weatherhead Center for International Affairs. Um, uh, he earlier served as the distinguished the Azam Professor at Columbia University He has held various fellowships, including uh, at Harvard Law uh, School Islamic Legal Studies program and program on negotiation, the Belfer Center of Science and International Affairs at the Harvard's uh, Kennedy School of Government. uh, uh, Asia Society in New York as Bernard Schwartz Fellow and as a Carnegie Fellow at the New America Foundation. Uh, and uh, 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 most importantly, uh, he's the author of a groundbreaking book, The Heir's Prophet: The Prophet's Heir, The Life of Ali ibn uh, Abi Talib, published by Yale University Press. Uh, I believe this book uh, uh, provides a unique perspective on the life of uh, Hazrat Ali Abhi ibn Talib, uh, Talib Radiya Talha Anhu. Uh, it's a book uh, uh, that every Shia and Sunni uh, should read uh, so that we have a better understanding of our own history. Uh, with that, I will turn this over to our very uh, esteemed hosts uh, who are passionate about promoting a better understanding about, uh, of Islam, uh, Dr. Hasnain Walji uh, from the Shia tradition and Dr. Aslam Abdullah from the Sunni tradition. Welcome to all of you.
2: Uh, Dr. Dr. Ashram, you're muted.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Brother Ali, for being the key host of this wonderful program and the nine nights that we have already spent in discussing issues. Alhamdulillah, <laughs> wa salatu wa ala rasulihi al-kareem, khatmal anbiya wal mursaleen. Inna allaha wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala nabi iya ayuhil lasina abnu alayhi Wasallimu taslima. As we mentioned yesterday, that uh, we would give a glimpse of the Marcia, which in English is called Elegy, written by two very prominent elegy uh, poets, Mirza Salamat Tabir and then Mir Anis. And uh, just to give you an idea of uh, the the, the uh, way people used to express their love to Imam Hussain, and uh, used to commemorate. Uh, Dabir was born in 1803 in Delhi, and then he later on migrated in Lucknow, and he wrote 14. Classical type of elegy of the Mercia. And I would just read one quartet, means six lines from his last or concluding Mercia. And that basically explains the love that people have towards Imam Hussein and the and the, it explains the, 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 the purpose of every sacrifice that the family of the Prophet ﷺ gave. And this is, it begins, and I would translate it in English. I would not complain of the bloodshed that me and my family went through. God Almighty, forgive and give salvation to my people. That is in fact the compensation for my blood. And I, for the sake of Mohsin and for the sake of Ali Asghar, Uzdam Malai at that moment allah subhanahu wa taala will tell the angels has the right to seek the shifa and salvation for anyone Dedu ko. give the key of dozakh and jannat to Hussain. It's a very powerful expression of one's love and right tribute to the sacrifice of Hussein, Imam Hussein. and it in fact uh, reminds and takes us back to the times when we this 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 drama and this tragedy was unfolding. Unfortunately, what has happened in this, what I'm going to say might uh, shock some people, but the reality is that the two communities, Sunnis and Shias, look at the issue from a different perspective. And this is evident in their practice. On the 9th or 10th or the 10th or 11th, Sunnis usually fast. They fast because they attribute a statement of the Prophet Sallallahu who reportedly said, when he went to Medina and he found the people of uh, Medina, especially Jews fasting, this is what the narration says. And they found that the fasting took place in, on the 10th of Muharram, so he said that, uh, I'm more closer to Musa alayhi salatu and And we would fast on that day, along with the Jews. And the Shias don't fast on that day. The fact is that there is no historical record that tells us that the Jews of Medina used to fast on the 10th of Muharram. They had their own calendar. That calendar changes according as the Muslim calendar or the lunar calendar changes. And there is no historical evidence that says that the exodus or the event that is being referred in our hadith took place on the 10th of Muharram according to the Jewish calendar or the Muslim calendar. In fact, historically, what we find is that the 10th of Muharram the pagans used to change the curtain of Kaaba. And in honor of that change of curtain, the people would fast in pre-Islamic area. And there is no evidence to suggest, with the exception of these Adis, that on the 10th of Bahram, the Prophet fasted, in Mecca or in Medina. prophets used to fast on every Thursday and every Monday, as we are told. And in that particular respect, uh, we, we find that the tradition of fasting on the 9th or 10th or 11th emerged during the Umayyad dynasty. It was not there during the time of Abu Bakr. Ta'ala. It was not there during the time of Umar. Ta'ala. It was not there during the time of Ali. Ta'ala. It was not during the time of Usman. As we see, we don't have that kind of record. So, based on that hadith in the Bukhari and Muslim, Sunnis fast. And fasting, as we all know, is a sign of thankfulness to God. What happened 60 years later was a shocking event, earth-shaking event for the Ummah. How could anyone who claims to be a Muslim take a stand against the family of the Prophet, especially that family member who was one of the dearest one of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi and whose uh, position was very clear from the very beginning that he was not willing to take allegiance of a person who basically whose father had changed the direction of the Islamic polity once for all. things have to be acknowledged in the right perspective. So what I'm going to say might uh, uh, displease many people, but this is what I would say. If the Sunnis really want to fast, fast on the 9th, fast on the 11th, but uh, on the 10th, when this tragedy took place, at least remember it, commemorate it, and understand the real reason and real purpose. The real purpose was not to uh, replace one, uh, what you call, uh, monarchy with the other monarchy. The purpose was not to establish one dynasty, to replace the one dynasty with the other dynasty. The purpose was primarily to ensure that the ideas that are enshrined in the Quran are implemented in the social, political, cultural, economic lives of people based on the principle of justice and based on the principle of compassion and kindness. That was the entire struggle. of And we are still waiting until today for that kind of system. And this is... The last thing that I would say is that there is not a single constitution in the 56 Muslim countries that can claim that it reflects the Quranic values of justice and Quranic values of compassion and kindness. Read all uh, the constitutions that you have. They are all sectarian. They are all focusing on one aspect or the other aspect depending on their historical interpretation. How is it possible that a universal community, a universal message that claims that it is for all the time and all the people can narrow down itself to such an extent that it would basically separate itself from the essential guidance of the Quran that talks about the universality, that talks about the human dignity, and when we talk of the human dignity, it means dignity for each and everyone, even for those who deny God the existence of God, who reject God, who reject the communities, who reject everything. We cannot tolerate each other on theological grounds. And there's no constitutional guarantee that that kind of right to dissent and right to live uh, you know, peacefully, with all the differences with others, would be granted to us with equal rights that a state accords to its citizens. And this is the challenge that we have. Our claim of universality is meaningless in the presence of all the differences that we have, in the presence of all that we keep on patting on our shoulder that Islam is the greatest religion, that we have such a wonderful sacrifice and all those things, it's all meaningless if we are unable to live the universality of Islam within our own context, and this is what we want to focus on today: that how can we go back to that Islam that was the Islam of the Prophet, that was the Islam of the Prophet's family, that was the Islam of the grandson of the Prophet for which he sacrificed himself and he brought the and he called for the reformation. So I'll stop here, and I'll pass it on to Dr. Walji.
2: Jazakallah, uh, Dr. Aslam. Uh, Thank you for those very profound and very candid words that have to be said. And uh, I applaud uh, your wisdom and your courage to vocalize this. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. As-salamu alayka ya Rasulullah. Ahsanallahu laka Tonight is the eve of the 10th of Muharram, the day known as Ashura. And as we have been discussing, the spirit of Ashura or the last days, this is a sacrifice in order to establish the very principles that the blessed Prophet of Islam, peace be upon him, had brought. The discussion today is how can the Shias and Sunnis come together to uphold these great principles and really pay tribute not just in words but in deeds as well articulated by Dr. Aslam. We were looking at the two poets One is Dabir, and the other one is Mir Babarali Anis. No mention of Dabir can be done without Anis, and no mention of Anis can be done without mentioning Dabir, because they were contemporaries, and they were the giants, in terms of particularly the genre of Marcia poetry, describing and bringing to light the events in Karbala in a poetic form. They excelled, both of them excelled in their art and that art remains until today and continues to be recited, to be studied, to be debated and discussed whenever we discuss Karbala and the tragedy that befell the grandson of the Prophet, peace be upon him. I would like to quote Anis's Mercia, It's one of his longest Marcians. It's one of the most popular Marcians, where the Mercia begins with the dawn that breaks on the day of Ashur. This is in Urdu. Neither Dabir, nor Anis can be translated to be fair to them in any language. But we will do a very rough translation of just a few verses from this mercy. Jab kata ki shab aftab ne jalwa kiya ke Dekha su e falak, shahe gardu rakabne, Murkar sada rafikoko, di us janabne, Acher hai rat hamdo sanae kudakaro, Uto farizae sehriko adakar. Translated that when the sun had completed its night's journey, Jab kataki, masafate shab aftabne. When the sun had completed its night journey, the unveiled dawn appeared in all its radiance. The king, referring to Imam Hussein, whose stirrups at the firmament looked towards the sky, that Lord, turning to his companions, called them out and said, At last the time has come. Praise and magnify the Lord. Arise. And perform the morning prayer. this is the beginning of a very long marxia, which goes on to describe the entire day throughout and towards having described the day anis himself states his own condition to say bus anis zof hai band band आलम में यादगार रहेंगे ये चंद बंद तब के कलम से जोफ में क्या क्या बुलंद बंद आलम पसंद दफ्तर है सुल्तान पसंद बंद ये फसल और ये बज में अदा यादगार है ये फसल और ये बज में अजा यादगार है पीरी का पीरी हैं की बाहर Meaning enough, Anish, having written that much, Enough, Anish, your limbs are shaking with weakness. May these few verses remain a monument in the world. Yet in the weakness, what lofty verses have come from the pen. The words please the world. The verses please kings. May this harvest and this assembly of mourning remain a memorial. They are the tumults of old age and the spring pleasures of the autumn. This was the power of the words, which has moved millions and has been recited. As I said, tonight is the eve of the 10th of March. Tomorrow is a day of Ashura. Today, millions have gathered in the plains of Karbala to mark the day of Ashura. In 40 days, his graveside will have the largest peaceful gathering on this planet where each year over 15 million people descend from all corners of the globe to remember him. But on that day, that day of Ashur, 61 Hijra, he stood almost alone, all his companions killed. And another poem which truly moves us to say, Libasri, this was his state at the end. That Libasai Pata Hua, Gubarme Atahua, Tamam Jisinazanin Chirahua, Katahua, Ye Korn Ziva Kirhe, Balaka ke Saharhe, Kehay Hazar Katilonke Samne Data Hua, Yebil Yakin Hussein He, Nabi Kanur Hussein. This is a poem by Hafiz Jalandari, where he says his dress is torn and mud is, is worn. His splendid, delicate body is cut, slashed, and torn. Who is this dignified master horseman who is standing his ground in front of an army of thousands? So, between Anis starting the day and Jalandari ending that day, we get a picture of the bleeding, the wounded man who looks at the sky and he seems to draw a strength from an unseen source. And like a Muazzin, he called out, Nasrin is there a helper who will help me? It is reported that he repeated that call four times in four directions. Who was he calling out to? Those who wanted to help him had laid down their lives. Meticulously, laboriously, he made sure that his call reverberated in all directions. Why? I believe it was a call. To Muslims of every generation in every land. To, and he made sure that the call reverberated in all directions. Picture, if you will, a society that once again was steeped in tyranny, cruelty, and oppression just 50 years after the death of the Blessed Prophet. Peace be upon him. Once again, injustice was rampant. Injustice on a social level. Suppression on the political level. Ra- racism raising its ugly head in the society. In the midst of this tyranny. Imam Hussein fiercely speaks. Fearlessly speaks against a ruler of the time. Demanding justice, liberty and freedom. He refuses to give an oath of allegiance. To the corrupt ruler of the time. His faith. On the 10th day of the first lunar month of sixty-one Hijra, he stood. All alone, his quest for justice had brought him to the plains of Karbala by the tyrant Yazid. I would just like to end on a note as to why this message of social justice is universal. He did not say that I will not pay allegiance the to Yazid. His famous words were and we need to understand the spirit, the essence and the wisdom behind those words that he used. These are three words, but they are powerful words. He said, la That my example or the person like me, meaning who is utterly submissive to Allah, cannot give his end to the likes of him. So the likes of me cannot give bayah to the likes of him. This is a universal call to say that truth cannot unite with falsehood because his premise was that I am a manifestation of the truth. Yazid is a manifestation of falsehood. A manifestation of truth cannot unite with the manifestation of falsehood. conclusion is I cannot agree to pay an oath of allegiance to someone like Yazid. So with that spirit, repeatedly, we must remind ourselves that mourning and the commemoration of Ashura and the month of Muharram is not a mere ritual. It is a commitment to Imam Hussein al-Islam, a commitment by each one of us, men and women, young and old, to uphold the values of Islam, to subordinate our hearts to the wishes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as shown to us by Imam Hussein. Indeed, Karbala is a microcosm of the very essence of our faith. It is a great lesson of Islamic principles. It shows us the highest ideals which could be lived. Indeed, when you look at it, Karbala is Quran in action. It is the most profound tafsir of the Quran, of the meaning of Tawhid, of resignation and submission, of fortitude and manliness, of self-contentment, steadiness and steadfastness, of honor and dignity, of the love of quest of freedom, of the concern for mankind, of the passion to serve humanity. It is unique and without peril. I will end with the words of the Shire of Inkilab, Josh Mariabadi. When he says, Tarik de reihe, ye avas dumbadam, dashte sabto azam hai, dashte balao gum, sabre massiva jurat sukrat kikasam, is ram hai surf ek in san kakadam, jiski ragome artishe badro honein hai, usurwaka isme gerami hosein History is making a repeated clarion call to us all. It's a wilderness of resoluteness, of woe and of God. By the fortitude of Christ, by Socrates' valor, this path is trodden alone by a man of honor. The man tempered are whose veins by the fire of mother and name. He is a valiant being. His sweet name is Hussein. That is what we commemorate a timeless ritual of justice and truth and sacrifice and that has been our series of reform and in terms of sacrifice that we honor and we try and understand today with that we'd like to welcome our guest speaker today and my dear friend dr hassan abbas the floor is yours
3: thank you so much Dr. Aleem, Dr. Hastan, Dr. Aslam Abdullah, I'll have a few words about your great initiative, but after, when I take this great opportunity uh, to recite a special uh, durud, a special uh, salaam and greetings to our beloved Prophet Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa alihi rahman اللهم صل صلاه كامله وسلم سلاما تاما على سيدنا ومولانا محمد الذي تنحل به العقد وتنفرج به الكرب وتكسى بالحوايج وتنال به الرغائب و, 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 و الخواتيم ويستسق الغمام بوجه الكريم وعلى عليه واصحابه في كل لمحه ونفس بعد ديك للمالوم نقيا الله يا الله يا الله يا الله I will first translate in Urdu and then in English for our all audiences. Allah, to darud nazar kar, esa Durud jo kamil ho, or salam beej, esa salam jo mukammal ho. Upar hamare sardar aur hamare aaka sallallahu alaihi wasallam ke jin ke zariye se muskilay hul hotiyen, or parishaniyay rafa hotiyen, or zarooratay puri hotiyen, or makassad hasil hoteyen, or khatma bakhair hota hai. और badal आपके muazzaz चेहरे को देखकर kar होता है और दुरुद durud bheje आप पर आपकी par पर और आपके दोस्तों aapke पर हर ashab और हर सांस में har अपनी मालुमात के शुमार के या ya um, it, it is so powerful uh, attribute and uh, greetings and salam to our beloved prophet that i thought um, for the purpose of blessings and tabaruk i'll start with this and uh, I know our audience uh, may have some who may not understand Urdu. Uh, so for their benefit, and I'm translating it right now. Um, oh God, please convey our greetings and special salaam to the Prophet. Such greetings which are perfect. It's such greetings which are complete on our Master and our beloved. His name is such that through his name our difficulties are resolved our problems are defeated and our demands are met and our objectives are achieved. And through his beautiful name, our end hopefully will be a good one. This beautiful name is such that the clouds attain and acquire their energy and their resource by looking at his beautiful face. So please, O God, send the greetings on him, on his family, and his friends, equal to the every breath that we take and equal to all the knowledge that you have, oh God, oh God, oh God. Um, I thought there's no better way uh, but, but to frame our whole conversation um, in this context. And now to, to uh, I really mean it, I really want to appreciate uh, this tremendous initiative uh, by my very three beloved friends, Dr. Aslam Abdullah, Dr. Haznan Walji, and Mr. Muhammad Alim. Um, this is no ordinary measure. I would honestly say, uh, for me, this is a dream come true uh, to be on this uh, special night and at this special occasion of Ashura and the, at night, that night uh, to be. Uh, talking to and getting into a conversation with people, irrespective of their sectarian identity. And I hope in the audience today and later on through recording, it will reach to um, all Muslims, irrespective of whether they are Sunni, Shia or or perhaps Sufi or or belonging to any other group. And the credit for this initiative goes to the three honorable names that I mentioned. I I really want to say this is um, in many ways unprecedented. And um, it is unprecedented, uh, may not be the right word, but this is such a huge initiative. The reason I'm saying it's not unprecedented, that historically, originally, that is what the purpose was. So what you are doing is reigniting that brotherhood, which is so dearly missing. Now, um, to to frame the context today, how the the topic that was given to me, and and this is also extremely close to my heart, um, that how the Shias and Sunnis, Muslims and other Muslims can come together to uh, go through, whether we call it reformation, we call it it resurgence, we call it revival of the true essence of Islam. I'll again take benefit from given this night. um, That uh, is so important to recognize that this night, uh, why there is this special significance of this night, because this is when Imam Hussain, along with all his companions, after many negotiations and conversations uh, with the, uh, uh, in the battlefield with Yazid, Yazid's uh, generals and his forces uh, in the battle of, in, in the, at that time, the desert of Karbala, um, when Imam Hussain realized that the negotiations or the conversation is not going anywhere. Um, Imam Hussain was very clear, that he would not only stand up for truth and justice, but that he will not sanctify the rule of a tyrant. And he was very clear on that, whatever the cost may be. And at that fine moment when we thought and realized it's all over, all he did was he requested Yazid's uh, generals, Ibn Ziyad and so many others who were there uh, leading the force who had surrounded the imam's small army, hardly um, 100 people or so. All he said was, I need this last night uh, to pray. And one of the most beautiful prayers that um, it's a very short prayer. And I I love it because I I have not been able to find another prayer which explains the concept of Tawheed, the oneness of God and the love of this family of al Bayt with that transcendent reality. And that phrase first again in Urdu, and then I'll try to um, translate as Dr. Hasnan Walji said some of these things cannot be translated um, in the best way. Imam Hussain at that this night that we are commemorating had said, uh, Oh God, who has found you in his or her search, has found everything. And someone who, who in all his prayers or, or all the efforts has not figured out or has not reached you, what has he reached or she reached? So I think that that's in, in one sentence, if there's a crux, that that was Imam Hussain's uh, crux. So because this is uh, that special night, and also very quickly recite like one other thing from a great uh, mystic uh, from South Asia. I'm truly inspired by what I heard from Dr. Abdullah and Dr. And Walji, um uh, which uh, ab- about uh, the, the commonality of purpose, and especially hearing about Anis and Dawood, I couldn't help but uh, also start my conversation now on, on, on the central key points with this um, famous katha uh, of uh, Arif Nawaz, of a great Sufi saint uh, from South Asia. Shah Asthosain, Bad Shah Ast Hussein, Deen, Deen Pana Panah Hussein again I think this is the whole life and message of Imam Hussein is summarized in this one it will not be wrong if you put it like that the translation is king is Hussein. king of kings is Hussein. the faith and its protector is Hussein. he gave his head not his hand to Yazid he gave his head, not his hand to Yazid. The Shahada's foundation is Hussein. It, it, it's so meaningful and so powerful. And this, it seems to me, I often think what might likely have in, had inspired Khaja gharib Nawaz was, this most famous hadith of the, of the prophet Sallallahu who said, "Hinin." And Hussein is from me, and I'm from Hussein and this this whole sentence of the Shahada's foundation this seems to me to be to be borrowed from from that beautiful verse now coming to the topic um, more specifically on how shias and sunnis can together build that narrative which is which they are not only have to project it outside but need to internalize it and what needs to be done is i i think there there is i'll make use of one quranic uh, a verse, and uh, one hadith. And from there, I, I'll draw some conclusions, some lessons, some key points. I have five key points in mind, which I want all my audience, uh, whenever they'll hear, whenever at t- some time in history, to think about those five things. But as a as a preface to, to that, uh, the verse is again uh, from Quran al-Hakim is very simple and very, very clear. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. bihablillahi tafaraku. It is so often mentioned, but I think uh, Muslims, irrespective of which country, state, ethnicity, or sect they belong to, um, we, all of us, have not really gone deeper into the, its meaning. It's, its meaning is pretty clear. Please hold, hold the rope of God and don't get divided. That's so simple, so clear so categorical. I mean, the the instruction couldn't have been better um, and more clear. And I often ask this to my friends, both in the Sunni and the Shia Shia tradition. Uh, Please tell me, how do you define your sect uh, or or what you believe to be a Shia or Sunni? And and often, of course, the first word that comes to the mind is, uh, Shiaism is a sect, Sunnism is a sect. Uh, If there's any other word, please think, say to yourself, um, how else you define it? And when God says, Wala it means anyone who is emphasizing or overemphasizing his sectarian identity to be his central or her central identity is in direct defiance of this verse. That's my humble submission. I'm not trying to dispel or God forbid discredit the great jurisprudence uh, in, Fikha, in schools of Jafri, Humbali, Hanafi, Shafi or Maliki, I think the schools of jurisprudence um, are the essence of Islam. Each one of these is equally valid, I would argue. Uh, uh, and uh, so I'm, I, I think that is extremely important identity because that is built on scholarship. But but any other identity, especially, say, tell yourself, any, any ordinary audience, how do you define your uh, your grouping or your identity? If it is not Fiqhai Muhammadi, And if you are not, when someone asks you about your identity and the word Muslim or Islam comes second and something else comes first, think about it. Whether that, how do you explain that in the light of Don't go by my strong um, assessment that this is in defiance of this verse, but think about it. Uh, The second uh, statement and divine injunction, I would say that I want to use before making my, those five points for you, what you need to do in my humble submission, um, is the famous Hadith, called Hadith al-Sakalain also. Prophet of Islam had said, I'm leaving behind you two things. Quran al-Hakim and Ahlul Bayt." Now there's one version which is slightly different. Uh, but again, this we so often uh, have become victims. And I would, let me say that we have, so often we, we we have become prisoners of our narrative in a way that we even don't go and check the main narrations that we hear. How many of us actually really go and look up the Quranic verses we often hear? Uh, so many times from educated people, I, I see their narrative, they mix up between Quran and Hadith uh, because there's not that real tradition to go back to our original sources. The Hadith, this famous Hadith is very categorical. To my surprise, I found the most... Um, Detailed thesis on this in, in Saudi Arabia. I was honestly, I was not expecting that in Medina. I was in a bookstore and I found this whole book, which provided with all the references. That the original, the strongest version, the most authentic version of this hadith is the Prophet saying, I'm leaving behind you two things, Quran and Ahlul Bayt. Some argue there's minor references. Prophet said, I'm leaving behind you two things, Quran and Sunnah. But the, the most dominant view, both among the Shia and Sunni, is I'm leaving behind you two things, Quran and a The reason I'm emphasizing on this is, and this I must say, I give credit to, I borrowed this from a religious scholar. I must say it was from a Shia school of thought. About six, seven days ago in Washington, D.C., I went to this one majlis, so I must credit him. Uh, But the way he explained it it was so beautiful. He said, um, so as soon as you hear or you see a banner actually saying Majle say Aaza, or if you hear anyone uh, talking about the legacy and the sacrifice of Imam Hussain, what is the first word that comes to your mind? You often say this must be the Shias because they are the ones associated with processions on, on um, in, uh, commemorating Karbala and the, and the great sacrifice. Not that the Sunnis don't do it. They do it uh, in so many ways, but by and large, you see a black banner uh, or you see some procession or uh, a slogan saying, majlis se Aza or majlis se Hussain, you immediately say this is the Shia. Now, step back and think about another kind of banners. Um quran a gathering to discuss Qur'an. Most likely, in most cases, people will say this is uh, some Sunni school of thought, Sunni group. Now, I'm absolutely not saying that, God forbid, that the Shias are not into Qur'an reading or not interested in Qur'an, uh, but The point I'm making in the light of that famous hadith, that these two pillars, the Shi'as have held on more closely to the pillar of Alul Bayt. And if I may say uh, that in the Sunni school of thought, they have associated themselves more with the interpretation, translation, tafheem, tafsir of Quran al-Hakim. And both are holding on to these two pillars. And actually, uh, the the full hadith says, it is in front of me, It says that I'm leaving behind you two precious things. I'm reading exactly directly from the main central uh, mutawatir hadith source, which is in front of me. I'm leaving behind you two precious things, the kalan among you, the book of God, and my kindred, my itrat, my household, ehlbaith. For indeed, the two will never separate until they come back to me on the pond of Kausar. But what the Muslims have done to these two pillars is that they'd held on to each one pillar primarily, because they probably mistook and misheard, uh, if I, I'm saying it in a lighter vein, they held on to these pillars, thinking there was a pick and choose question. They pick one of the two. No, no. Prophet is saying these two will stay together till they meet on the Day of Judgment. So the Muslims, both traditions, have their tremendous strength in their arguments, in their belief system, in their purity, in their sincerity. The most important is sincerity. However, they are looking at everything through the lens which they have, which is very, very powerful. Can anyone say Quran is not powerful or ahl bayts lens is not powerful? It is. But they are not joining and converging these two pillars, which was the purpose of this hadith. So I'm, I I was drawing from the Quranic verse and this hadith, um, the whole central argument. My third point is, before I go to my, um, thank you for your patience for my five points, those will be pretty quick, but I have to set a stage for my main uh, argument. Um, as Dr. Abdullah had also said in Dr. Walji, there's no doubt there are theological differences. But the sign of... Uh, progressive community, the sign of a wise community is that you find the beauty in divergence and you use these paths and these ideas to enrich your your perspective. And that in any way, there can be debate, there can be discussion. However, the moment that divergence of views, whether theological or in any other form or shape through scholarship, the moment your difference leads to an element of hatred and entrenched bias, then something has gone wrong. I'll give you one example because this night is to commemorate Imam Hussain Alayhi greatest contribution through sacrifice. This is the the battlefield of Karbala. Uh, Actually, just before that, when Imam was returning from Kaaba, um, he was there to perform Hajj. But he came to know that uh, Yazid and his supporters wanted to assassinate him, and he was clear not only that he had to stand up and he had stand up for truth and defy uh, this dogmatic new uh, political system, but that he also had to expose expose Yazidiet what what Yazid was up to. So just it was not that he. It would have been an easier end for him in, in a different sense. And the plan was that they will create a chaos and would, would, uh, somebody would stab him in the back. Imam moved away, cut short his Hajj, converted it from Hajj to Umrah, and started moving towards what is today Iraq. There were other groups as well. And while Imam was moving, right after Hajj, there was another person um, who ultimately became one of the top stalwarts of Imam Hussein in the battlefield of Karbala. And these are hardly 72 people, as we say, maybe a few more, a few less. But each one of their personalities, their books have been written on their biographies. So there's a person that I'm about to introduce to you for a reason, in line with the two statements that I've made, um, is a very interesting uh, and very a phenomenal uh, personality, Hazrat Zuhair bin Kain. Now, Hazrat Zuhair bin Kain um, is also returning Uh, Hazrat Zuhairman Khan was a friend of uh, the second caliph, Hazrat um, Umar He was then quite close politically, you can say, to the third caliph, Hazrat Usman And uh, he remained. There there was political differences also at some point, as we know, towards the end, uh, before uh, uh, the third caliph was assassinated and he he, uh, met his shahadat at that time, Zuhair bin Khan was siding with the Third Caliph. Not that there was a difference between Hazrat Usman or Hazrat Ali, not at all. Um, however, there were political differences and there, there were some issues. And clearly, Hazrat Zuhair bin Khan was well known for his association with the Third Caliph, Hazrat Usman. Now, come back to this journey that I'm mentioning. Imam Hussein is going back to Iraq and Zuhair bin Khan is also going in, in, in a group. And he, because of the some of the political differences, he was trying to stay a bit away. And he knew the crisis that Imam Hussain was getting into. At fine, one critical moment during travel, his his camp, his caravan while resting, uh, it turned out that it was very close to Imam Hussain and Imam Hussain called him. And um, he, of course, who could have said no to... The grandson of the Prophet, everyone knew Hussein al Everyone had heard uh, that Imam Hussein al uh, and along with Imam Hasan, his brother, is said by the Prophet uh, to be the leaders of heaven. Everyone knew about this. They had seen these uh, two grandsons of the Prophet grow up in um, in front of everyone in 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 masjid e nabwi The Jew can comes in. We don't know about the details of the conversation. What happened? Uh, But one group says that um, Imam Hussain, all he said to him was um, that I have this list what I have been told of all those who will not only be on my side, but who will receive the status of shahadat and your name is there. It's up to you. It took him a minute to join hands with him. And it turned out that in the Battle of Karbala, Imam Hussein his the chief of his army was Hazrat Abbas, his brother. But then there were two other commanders who were in the battlefield. Hazrat Zuhair bin Khan was one of those two. So even every one of the 72 shohda um, were, were very, very high in status and it was no ordinary sacrifice. But Hazrat Zuhair bin Kain was very close. When Hazrat Zuhair bin Kain goes into the battle fighting Yazid's army, some people kind of uh, taunted him and said, Zuhair, you used to be with Usman. Um, you're now with Hussein. And Zuhair bin can never disowned the third caliph. Zuhair bin Khan said, yes, at that moment, in that specific crisis, I was siding with uh, Usman because I thought he's uh, facing a difficult time and that he deserved support. Today, I'm with Hussein and I see no contradiction in it. The reason I'm narrating this um, reference, primarily from the Shi'a tradition but also from Sunni tradition, if Imam Hussain on that evening had not an iota of issue with anyone who was his, for some reason, politically on the different side than from, from his father, why anyone else today would have that problem? So it is not that all those who were in Karbala, I mean, I remember, and the reason I'm mentioning, I remember when I came to the United States for my PhD many years ago, one of my professors, very well-meaning person, he explained the history of Islam. The course was on, on south, Southwest Asia and Islamic civilization. He said um, the Battle of Karbala was one of the most important battles between the Shia and the Sunni. And I jumped in my seat and I said, Professor, what did you just say? And he was not meaning something bad. That is how what he came out with. And, and that's why I'm mentioning this whole tradition and the whole story, that it was not only Bani Hashim which was in Karbala, which they, they were the main stalwarts. It was everyone. For them, siding with Imam Hussein was siding with Islam. I've taken a long time to, to, to set the stage for my five ideas, but I, I thought this is how I would make a case. So what, what it means today and those five things that I would recommend you first and foremost, for the Shi'a and Sunni to come together, they need to be very clear that if you look at Quran, and today the Quran corpus is there, you can just pick one word and do a search, and you'll see how many times that one word has come in. I would highly encourage my audience to go do this one basic search for me. Search the word tabligh, search the word tafakkur, and search the word tadabbur and you'll get the answer, but I'll give you the short answer. Quran has emphasized tafakkur and tadabbur. Tabli you'll find how many verses are on tabligh and what that purpose is. Muslims have taken upon themselves without their internal clarity and internal coming together this path or this mission of da'wah in, in a different sense, uh, whereas everyone else from outside see Muslim history to be quite puzzling and quite divisive, and people would counter you by saying, okay, which Islam are you talking about? The Shia Islam? The Sunni Islam? Or which Islam? And there are no good answers that any of these people belonging to these sects can go, can give. However, if we change our paradigm to the paradigm of Tafakkur and Tadabbur, which is more internal, I argue that is setting the stage for the Shia and Sunni. First, to be very clear, we have mixed up and confused islam with muslim history there are differences in muslim history are there any differences about the concept of god are there any differences about the prophethood of or the centrality of prophet muhammad peace be upon him is anyone saying it's the god is saying i'm sending uh, this prophet as a blessing for the universe, Alameen, it's hard to translate Alameen. The only way you can really understand what Alameen is by reading the very first verse, Alameen. Wherever God's command and jurisdiction is, in that whole jurisdiction beyond universe, between the layers of universe, is where the, the Prophet Muhammad wasallam is, is a blessing for those. So is there a difference between Shias and Sunnis on this issue? No. So your core inspiration is extremely similar. Then comes history where there are differences. And the most important thing is, don't get into any point which which leads to hatred because your commonality, your two points are so common. That is the first uh, thing that I, I, I would push for any reformation or any common agenda. This clarity is to be very important. Where stands the Muslim history and where is Islam? these in some ways are linked but first you have to understand those into two separate things on islam you will not find um, many huge differences except there's some but the most core issues um, imam hussein in karbala at the fine moment is telling yazid not about uh, issues of Imamat and others as critical and as extremely important they are he's only talking to him, to yazid and his forces about the message of god about the message of truth about the message of justice, about the message of egalitarianism, about the message of equality, and about the message of the welfare of the people. These were the core messages Imam had. Is there any two views about these? Why today the different versions of history become our prime identity? We start our conversation from that, and that's the problem. The second thing is that the Muslim scholarship has to be now seen or attempted through collaborations. Uh, I would highly encourage, it may sound like a small uh, suggestion, but I highly encourage both the Shi and Sunni to start thinking about co-authoring pieces and joining hands in scholarship, whether they are research centers, whether they are publications, uh, book writing, or different events, or institutions and uh, forums like these. Um, for people to come together wherever there is a, who will do it? The Sunni institutions have, will always need to invite uh, people from other uh, sects as well, whether they're Sufi, the Shia, or, or others, the same the Shia will have to do. I um, mean, I remember in Pakistan, uh, I remember, and I'm in my last two or three minutes, I know I'm, I've gone over time, my apologies for that. I remember, and I remember the city as well, Abbottabad, where there was uh, Ashrai Muharram, the 10 days uh, of mourning, And every day there was a scholar, a Sunni scholar who came and recited Majalis for 10 days. I had seen that in Peshawar as well. Now it is unthinkable in most countries. Um, So what Dr. Walji and uh, Dr. Aslam, what you and Dr. Aleem, what you are trying to revive is a very strong historical tradition, which was there, but which has vanished, of bringing together. This is one step going towards these joint efforts of scholarship and, and focusing together. And then inviting each other into into our centers that will allow us to do and the together, which I have no doubt will very easily allow you to think about the idea of justice together. And I'll close with this idea. Whatever the contribution Muslims have in mind and what they are capable of, what what great potential they have is directly has to be linked to the global scenario. If someone asked me what is the biggest global challenge today, I would ask, it goes on one end from polarization between left and right, which we are seeing in the United States also, unfortunately, in a, in a strong fashion. And from that, it goes to um, uh, income in inequality and injustice. And on the idea of justice, from the message of Imam Hussein to the message of Ehlul Bait there is such a strong tradition. Um, You have heard me before in this forum talking about the famous letter of Ali ibn Abi Talib um, to Malik al-Ashtar which goes into detail of justice and the modern governance you'll feel as if you're reading something contemporary. So the Muslim history and legacy is so powerful about justice, about standing against oppression. And and that is what can be revived most effectively if Muslims stand uh, together through scholarship through their spirituality, through their praying together, through their together and through joint events. And then whenever there's an interfaith event reaching out to other religious communities, it can best be done by by Muslims, Shias and Sunnis coming together. Um, The potential is huge. The, The the foundation, conceptual foundation within theological issues, as I mentioned, from the Hadith and Quran is so solid. It is only, in my last point, it is only a matter of initiative from well-meaning Sunnis and well-meaning Shias and well-meaning Sufis. And if the extremists and hardliners can come together, whether in the shape of Daesh or Al-Qaeda or any uh, other group, they, the extremists come together in amazing ways beyond their ethnicity and at times their sectarianism as well. Whereas the well-meaning people, uh, even in this day and age of social media and connectivity, it seems are going in different panels. So um, Dr. Aslam, Dr. Walji, Mr. Aleem, um, you are bringing such a light, and I only have prayers that God give more power to you and consider me as your humble soldier in this effort um, back to you sir.:
0: Thank you very much. For- such a wonderful and powerful presentation. <clears throat> I don't think that there is uh, time or the need to uh, have further clarification on what you have been saying and what you already said. I think the need of the hour is uh, the coming together, the two communities to patch up the differences and to basically live the Qur'anic spirit that you mentioned. And and, and the emphasis here is do not find consensus, find some understanding that would enable both of you to understand and live the divine guidance and divine message. And I think that is the challenge that we face. And certainly, the process that Islamic City has started by establishing this tradition. And, you know, last year we had a similar kind of ten nights, uh, and, uh, uh, you know during this time. We should continue and hopefully go beyond, uh, you know, meeting only during the first ten days of the Muharram. Uh, there are many other issues that we talked during the discussions. Uh, in the previous night and definitely we would like to have this uh, kind of tradition of uh, joint uh, sessions with scholars of different perspectives to dwell on issues that concern all of us, not just Muslims, but humanity as a whole. With that, uh, I thank you, Dr once again for your wonderful presentation and then thank you Dr. Valdi for being part of this series and thank you very much uh, Brother Ali for facilitating it and for making sure that uh, the ideas uh, are implemented for the betterment of the community and for the betterment of the humanity. Thank you. And I give it uh, to Dr. Baltry to make his concluding remarks, and then we'll give it to Arthur Alim for his concluding words.
2: Um, thank you, Dr. Aslam, and thank you, uh, Dr. Asan Abbas, um, I think for a very succinct, uh, yet very profound, uh, reflections in the five things that you, you talked about. And in the interest of time and also following on to this idea of Tadabur and Tafakkur uh, that you talked about, uh, I just want to leave our audience with one point of Tadabur and Tafakkur. And that is that are we in the camp of Hussein today? Or are we in the camp of Yazid lamenting and praising Hussein? It's our actions that will judge as to truly which camp are we in. On a personal level, is our heart free of deceit, malice, hatred towards others, and free of corruption? Then we are in the camp of Hussein. Are we making a meaningful contribution at a societal level? Then we are in the camp of Hussain. Because we cannot, and as Imam Hussein says, Misli la yubayhiu, that somebody like me cannot play or pay allegiance to somebody like him. We cannot pay allegiance to an oppressor in whichever form it comes and are we standing up for justice. So I say that our lives are but part of a larger picture as to how do we contribute to society with the time that we have and I end with the words of Maulana Room when he said, and this is our value, that after our death, do not search for us in the tombs and the graveyards of the world, but search for us in the hearts of people that we have inspired. We hope to our audience that we have been able to inspire even in a small way over the last 10 days in terms of the values that we have been discussing and we would like to continue with these conversations to bring about the intra-faith dialogue that we have been, uh, we have embarked on, on this journey. So with that, uh, I would like to thank Brother Aleem, uh, Dr. Astam for facilitating this, Brother Aji and Mustafa, Abdi uh, and Farhan for the backroom work that needs to be done, we truly appreciate the AV team on both sides, uh, stand with dignity as well as Islamic City teams. And with that, I will say, Wassalamualaikum Alaikum Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh. And we'd like to hand this back to Brother Alim to conclude. Uh,
1: thank you, uh, Dr. Walji, Dr. Abbas, and Dr. Aslam. You leave me in a difficult situation to follow all of these words of wisdom that we have shared. I do not have words to express my gratitude to all of you for expanding our uh, our minds, uh, our hearts, and uh, paving the way and showing us the way, you know, of moving forward what we need to do as a community, what we need to do as humanity uh, to create a society that we can leave behind for our children uh, so that uh, they can uh, do the work that is really needed in terms of building a society and caring for humanity. Uh, We started this effort of Islamicity back in 1995 when the internet was uh, 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 was uh, just beginning uh, its uh, ascent uh, and uh, 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 the idea was that we wanted to create this online community where we can discuss and uh, uh, share uh, our uh, common faith with others and also uh, uh, elevate ourselves with the knowledge of Islam that we should be uh, uh, that we should be uh, getting and you all have uh, uh, elevated us uh, uh, in this work. Uh, and I thank all of you and all of our audiences uh, who have been watching this series. And uh, this series will be available uh, uh, on demand uh, and will continue to be watched by, by people. And we hope it will inspire uh, uh, all of us to do the right thing. To do to, to come together as one community, to understand our faith as one community. So uh, with that, uh, um, again, I thank all of you and all of our guest speakers that have participated in this program. And inshallah, we will continue this. Uh, I'd like to uh, do just two quick announcements. Uh, this is the book that uh, uh, Dr. Hassan Abbas has written, uh, The Heir of the, uh, the Prophet's Heir and uh, I recommend that please uh, get this book, read this book, and uh, it will open your eyes about uh, our common uh, history that we should all know about. Uh, The other uh, 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 announcement is on September 15th, we will be doing a storytelling session between Shias and Sunni, and this will be our youth. Uh, who will be sharing their common stories about what it is to be a Shia or a Sunni, and uh, uh, we will learn from our youth uh, also. So that will be on September 15th. We're doing that in collaboration with the Shia Muslim Council of Southern California. uh, And uh, at 5.30 PM on September 15th, we will be sending announcements uh, about that also, inshallah. So with that, I bid all of you a good night. And Assalamu Alaikum Warahmatullahi Wa